Hi, this is John and Valerie Domingo, and, and you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Welcome, everyone. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, February 4th. And this is your Sunday sermon. Today's part five in our series, Discipleship Matters. And we're going to talk about, if you want to be my follower, then dot, dot, dot. We're going to be looking at one main scripture. That's going to be the focal point of today's message and next week as well. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. I'll tell you more in a minute, but right now, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we're excited to hear from your word today. What is it, Lord, that we can do to be your follower? What do we have to do? If we want to be your follower, then what, Lord? Tell us today, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Trevin Wax, Vice President of Resources and Research Development at the North American Mission Board, wrote, Recent studies reveal 91% of Americans agree with this statement. The best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. In other words, if you want to discover who you are and what your purpose is, the place to look is inside your heart. So when I googled the phrase, follow your heart, you know how many results came in? 5.6 billion results came up. Now here are some of the common catchphrases that make up this creed that's embraced by so many billions of people. Here's one, go with your gut. Here's another, do what's right for you. And another, pursue your dreams. How about believe in yourself? Or you do you? Or this last one, you be you. And you would expect these kinds of mantras from those who don't follow Christ. But many best-selling books written for the Christian market support a similar teaching. One well-known author, Glennon Doyle, who professes to be a Christian, wrote, Maybe Eve was never meant to be our warning. Maybe she was meant to be our model. Own your wanting. Eat the apple, she writes. In essence, she's saying sin's no longer what's wrong with the world. Instead, it's our unrealized desires. This needs to be corrected, beloved, because it's blatantly unbiblical. Or to say it a little bit stronger, these are lies from the pit of hell. And this shouldn't be the doctrine of a devoted disciple. Let's listen to what the Bible says about the danger of following your heart. Here's a couple of scriptures. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Ecclesiastes 9, 3. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. Jeremiah 17:9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And in Mark 7, verses 20 to 23, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. John Bloom, co-founder and president of DesiringGod.org, writes this, Our hearts were never designed to be gods in whom we believe. They were designed to believe in God. Don't believe in your heart. Direct your heart to believe in God, he said. Or we could say it like this, Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. In contrast to the pervasive and popular thinking, which states life is all about you and me, listen to the words of the living God as recorded in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, our text for today. Then he, meaning Jesus, said to the crowd, 
If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Last week, I began the sermon with a quote from German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That quote came from his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Here's another quote from that book, which says, Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. As you've been learning in this Discipleship Matter series, every believer is called to lovingly follow Jesus and intentionally help others follow him. So as we unpack today's passage in Luke 9.23, we'll begin by considering, number one, the call to follow Jesus. And then we'll contemplate four conditions of discipleship, which are desire, denial, death, and devotion. Because these words capture the heart of discipleship, I'm going to preach three sermons centered on this one verse. Today, we'll tackle discipleship conditions one and two, which are desire and denial. But first, let's talk about the call to follow Jesus. One call to all. We see Jesus call in the first part of verse 23. Then he said to the crowd. Before settling into our text, let's consider the context. In the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus empowers the 12 disciples and sends them out to minister. In verse 10, they return, and then they all, including Jesus, slip away into the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds figure out where they've gone, and they follow. Verse 12, after teaching and healing all day, the disciples asked Jesus to send the crowd away so they could find lodging and food. Instead, what does Jesus do? He surprises everyone when he feeds 5,000 hungry men and women with just a bit of bread and a little fish. Then after that, in verses 18 through 20, Jesus turned to the disciples and asked, Who do you say I am? Well, Peter speaks up quickly and declares, You're the Messiah sent from God. They weren't prepared for what Jesus was going to say next, because in verse 22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He'll be killed, but on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. Now, after this intense teaching time, Jesus called the crowd and the twelve together. So look at the scripture verse again, Luke 9, 23. The tense for the word said can be translated as was saying over and over. Apparently, what Jesus was about to declare about discipleship was repeatedly emphasized, and it was intended for the curious crowd and his disciples. Mark 8, 34 fills in some details. It says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, so you see the two groups have come together. What Jesus says next is not just for the disciples. These words are for you and me, beloved. We cannot escape them or seek refuge in syrupy spiritual slogans. I'm talking about the conditions of discipleship. Let's talk about that. Again, look at your verse, Luke 9, 23. Notice in this verse, the call to faith is open to everyone, but there are conditions to following Christ. We see this in the use of the word if. I'm reminded of Luke 14, 25 from our text last week, which said, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Some of the most profound truths come in small words, don't they? Grammatically speaking, the word if introduces a conditional clause, meaning there are certain conditions or circumstances upon which certain consequences follow. If is one of the first words a child begins to associate with logical thinking and conditional results. Parents reinforce this from an early age. My son's name is David, so I'll use him as an example. David, if you eat your carrots, then you can have some ice cream. Then he'll quickly consume the carrots so he can have all the ice cream. As one grows, the ifs come fast and furious, and we figure out we have a responsibility to do something. If you finish your homework, you can go out and play. If you complete your chores, you can use the car this weekend. If you take this medicine, it should relieve your symptoms. If you read your Bible regularly, you'll grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. The word if appears over 1,600 times. That's 1,600 times plus in the Bible. 
574 of those times are in the New Testament, and almost half of that number are found in the four Gospels. Jesus always put the if on man's side and never on God's side. The word if, it reminds us of our responsibility to respond and not be passive. As we've said before, you will never coast into Christ's likeness. Here's just a few examples from Jesus. Mark 14, 23 and Revelation 13, 9 both say, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. John 7, 37 says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John 8, 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If means we have a choice in the matter of whether or not we'll make our discipleship matter. Now let's look at the first conditional demand of discipleship. It is desire. A person must desire to be a disciple. Again, Luke 9, 23, if any of you wants to be my follower, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The phrase wants to, it conveys intentionality and involves an act of the will. This can be translated as desire or wish. In order to walk with Jesus, we must walk to Jesus. Someone once said, we become what we desire. This was not a secret teaching for a select few. This call of Jesus goes out to anyone and everyone, to the curious crowd, those who were nearby, to the committed core, those 11 disciples, even to the counterfeit Judas. These three groups are still present today, beloved. Some of you are curious about Christ. Many others are committed to him, and a few have counterfeit faith. Notice, Jesus gives the same message to each of these groups. There's a common misconception in the church, and that's that discipleship is only for the super committed and not for everyone. One pastor described it like this. If you're a masochist who likes hardship, deprivation, sacrifice, and perhaps even martyrdom, you can sign up for the discipleship track. The other track, for the rest of us normal people, is the more sensible plan. You can pursue your dreams for success and personal fulfillment, and generally enjoy a good life in the fellowship of a good evangelical church. Every once in a while, you need to drop something in the offering plate. But don't worry about sacrifice, cross-bearing, or self-denial. I contend that Jesus taught that there is only one track for those who believe in him, namely the discipleship track. If you're not his disciple, you're not a Christian. Every believer is called to be completely yielded to Jesus as Lord. Now take a look again, Luke 9.23. Notice the phrase, wants to be my follower. This is the idea of movement, of lining up behind the Lord, following wherever he goes. We don't walk in front of him and ask him to catch up with our ways and wishes. No, we get behind him so we walk where he walks. We don't live where we want and ask him to bless it. Rather, we walk in his blessings when our lives line up with his word. Do you have the desire to follow Jesus as one of his disciples, beloved? Listen, you won't follow him if you don't want to. Some don't follow the Savior because they don't want to or because they want immediate gratification instead of godliness. Until you desire to be a disciple, you won't be one. If you desire him more than anything or anyone else, you will be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you, Lord, more than anything on earth. So the first condition of discipleship is to settle your desire. The second condition we're going to look at today is denial, specifically denying self. Now that's a little different than self-denial, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. Verse 23 says, you must give up your own way. The phrase you must puts the responsibility on each one of us. This has got to be intentional because it's not automatic for us. Someone once said, honestly, I don't want to forsake myself. I like me and I don't want to be told that the one I like the most I have to forsake. Yet Jesus says that I have to deny or forsake the one person I like best. Everything within us screams against surrendering like this. 
To give up our own way, it implies a firm refusal. This is the same idea that describes Peter denying Jesus. One Bible dictionary defines denial this way, to disown and renounce self and to subjugate all works, interests, and enjoyments. Jesus said it bluntly in Luke 14, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. To deny self is a command from Jesus Christ himself, and it means right now, without delay, we're called to make a radical decision to renounce our own righteousness and refusal to see self as supreme. According to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, God's grace can free us from the grip of ungodliness. It says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. I also want to say that denying self is not the same thing as self-denial, like not eating chocolate or going on a Facebook fast. To deny self is turning from sin and selfishness and turning to the Savior. Having said that, it may involve saying no to some practices or habits or even relationships. Denying self means I stop thinking I'm always right. I stop living with my own power and I refuse to pursue my own pleasures because I no longer belong to myself. We see this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, where the Apostle Paul writes, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So in short, I must give up the right to run my own life because I no longer own my own life. I've been bought with the blood of Christ, and I now belong to him. Beloved, if you're headed the wrong way, God may send people or problems your way to get your attention. Best-selling author Paul David Tripp states, God is quite willing to interrupt your comfort in order to reclaim the allegiance and submission of your heart. A little earlier this week, I listened to a song from the Christian music group Mercy Me. It's called So Long Self. I never really paid attention to the lyrics until that time. The lyrics describe a man breaking up with himself. Now, I've included a link to the song video in the description today, but I'm also going to read you the words of verse 1 and the chorus. Well, if I come across a little bit distance, it's just because I am. Things just seem a little bit different, you understand. Believe it or not, but life is apparently about me anyways. But I have met the one who really is worthy. So let me say so long self, it's been fun but I've found somebody else. So long, self. There's just no room for two, so you're going to have to move. So long, self. Don't take this wrong, but you are wrong for me. Farewell. Oh, well. Goodbye. Don't cry. So long, self. Have you ever broken up with yourself? There really is no room for two. Either self is on the throne of your life or the Savior is. Now remember, we're only covering these first two conditions of discipleship today. We're going to cover the next two in the next two weeks, the next two sermons. But I want to close out today with this. Three questions. These can be your action steps for the week. Number one, what have you learned about intentional discipleship? So what exactly is intentional discipleship? I think it's important to know that before we can actually answer the question of what you've learned from it. First of all, let's define it. It's about putting faith into practice and helping other believers do the same. It's about mentoring and encouraging believers so that their faith has an impact on the world around them. So what could intentional discipleship look like in our daily lives? For instance, to be intentional and look outward, maybe passing on what others have poured into your life. Choose to be a disciple every day and look out for opportunities that God provides. How about this? Be accountable to God. Maintaining parental responsibility to disciple their children. That is not the church's role. The church is a resource, yes, but the church's role is to support you and be a resource. And how about this? 
denying yourself, it opens doors to everything else in life. How about you, beloved? What have you been learning? Here's the second question. Is there someone you'll share this with? I want you to think of someone right now, write their name down and do it. Just talk to them this week about what you're learning. And number three, have you denied yourself and surrendered to the Savior? Shortly before Robert E. Lee died, he was asked by a young mother to bless her baby. He took the baby in his arms, looked at him, and then at the mother, and said these unforgettable words. Teach him to deny himself, Lee said. That is all. The self-directed life is filled with guilt, worry, discouragement, discord, frustration, fear, and disobedience, while the Christ-directed life is filled with love, joy, peace, patience, trust, and obedience. What about you, beloved? Is self on the throne of your life or is the Savior? Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart to follow Christ. Do you desire the Savior above everything else? Are you ready to deny yourself? Then don't delay. Do it today. I would encourage you right now to just talk to Jesus. Surrender your life to His. Ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. Confess your sins to Him. And by all means, be baptized into Christ under the water, immersed into Jesus, rising up in newness of life. Thanks for the opportunity to be with you today. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.